once they realize that there is not any romantic partner who is going to make them feel like their life is better than it is as a single person. Once they realize that, then they can embrace their single lives. But that's hard to do because we are so brainwashed into thinking that the one true path to happiness is coupling. Hello, hello, it's Christine. This is the Rose Woman Podcast, and today we're talking about being single at heart. Not single as a temporary condition or single as a pathology, but as a core essential way of being, a preferred way of being in the world. My guest is Bella DePaolo. She is an acclaimed social scientist, considered to be the leading expert on single life, and she's written a recent book, which is quite groundbreaking and completely unapologetic as a case for the single life called Single at Heart. She has written so many other books, including Singled Out and a book called How We Live Now on Redefining Home and Family in the 21st Century. And her scholarly work on the subject includes things on singles and mental health or changing the way we use language to discuss the way people's lives are held when they don't marry, single and flourishing, transcending the deficit narratives of single life is one that just came out in 2023 in the Journal of Family Theory. And that was how I found her, is looking at her work there. So she's very, very enlightening. Uh, Along with this podcast episode, I also did an article that you can find at rosewoman.com on alternatives to union marriage contracts with the state, as well as a pretty comprehensive listing of the ways the state advantages married people and disadvantages single people. And I think the whole thing is quite surprising and enlightening. So have a listen. Enjoy this time with Bella and know that whatever your choices are for the core essential way you show up in life, married, unmarried, poly, asexual, all of those ways are all you expressing your unique flavor of life in a body and that there is no right and there is no wrong. So let's get curious, huh? Let's get curious. Here we go. Let's have a conversation with Bella. I've been single my whole life and I thought that at some point I would want to get coupled or married because everybody else was, but I never, I just never did. And I really loved being single, except for all the, you know, stereotyping and stigmatizing and all that. You know, I found that uh, the way people think about single people was so denigrating in a way. It's like they think it's a lesser life. And it's not just people in everyday life or pundits. It's even, to a large extent, people who are scholars, who consider them scholars of single life. And even they, now not all of them, but even they can talk about single people in a way that presumes that their life is second rate. And they look at single people through the lens of being coupled. So it's like a couple-centered view of what it 
what a good life is. So they'll look at single people and think, oh, let's see, let me study single people. I guess that means I should study loneliness. Wow. <laughs> you know, yeah, when in fact, many single people, especially the single at heart, appreciate the time they have to themselves. So I was just astounded by how negative everything was towards single people and how none of that was capturing my joy in being single and my experience that single life for me wasn't a default. It, was some, it wasn't something I was stuck with. It was something I loved. So then I started interviewing people and doing research and all that over many years culminated in the the book called Single at Heart, The Power, Freedom, and Heart-Filling Joy of Single Life, where I discovered that many more people than we ever realized are happily single. They don't want to unsingle themselves and they're happy because they're single, not in spite of it. I think you're myth-busting already with that by saying that single doesn't mean alone or lonely. Yes, exactly. And that's another thing that really annoys me. People use alone as a synonym for single. Oh, she's alone. He's lonely. He doesn't have anyone. And in fact, research shows that on average, single people are more connected to more different people. They stay in touch with their friends and their relatives and their colleagues and their teammates and their neighbors. Um, and they exchange more social and emotional support with them. They're more likely to do errands for them. And research also shows that when couples move in together or get married, they tend to become more insular. So they stay in touch with their friends less. They call their parents less often. And so what the stereotype of single people, that they're alone, they don't have anyone, is exactly wrong. They are actually, on average, more connected. To more different people. I've had that experience where someone goes into a love bubble and then you lose them. Yeah. And you know, it's actually pretty hurtful when what happens, as I think is pretty typical, is that the people who get marginalized are their single friends. So you could be friends with someone who's also single, then once they get into a couple, then it's like they're in the couple's club. And you get demoted from going out to dinner with them to going to lunch or not getting invited much at all. And, and that's hurtful. Yeah, and unnecessary. Tell me about the research. I mean, first of all, the idea that there are scholars of the single life was new to me when I read your article. But I don't even think that people see some of the biases. It's, it's, um, there's tax bias, there's healthcare bias. I mean, what are, what are the differences in a culture that favors partnership versus singleton? What, how, 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 are the, how does the state reinforce it, I guess? Oh my gosh, in so many ways. T take the example of the United States where I am, there are hundreds of federal laws that benefit and protect only people who are officially legally married. So you mentioned health as one of them. Well, there's a law called the Family and Medical Leave Act, 
And under that law, if you are in an eligible workplace, you can take leave to care for a parent, a spouse, or a child. Now, a single person can take leave to care for a parent or a child, but they can't have anyone equivalent to a spouse. So I, a lifelong single person with no kids, I can't um, take leave to care for a close friend or a sibling or someone who's really important to me. And none of those people can take time off under the act to care for me. That's a big one right there. It really is. Single people are also disadvantaged financially in many ways. To give an example of that in the United States, we have Social Security. So, you know, what you get paid as a pension after you get older and retire. So a married person puts their money into into the system, just like I do as a lifelong single person. But when the married person dies, their benefits go to their spouse. And in some cases, a whole series of ex-spouses where mine go back into the system. You know, I paid my money into the system and yet it's going to go and support somebody else's spouse or ex-spouse even. I don't get to give it to a close friend or a relative or anyone else who's important to me and no one can give that to me. So you're subsidizing the whole. Yes, that's exactly the way I think of it. It's like not only are single people disadvantaged, but our disadvantage goes to the advantage of couples. You know, they get, they're subsidized by us. And yet, often they are already better off financially in the sense that if they're living together and the single person is living alone, they're sharing expenses. And they probably had some big wedding where every Everybody gave them presents, even though they already had two households full of uh, kitchen stuff. (laughs) So yeah, it's pretty systematic. What's the strangest rule? Oh, (laughs) I think it's that in the United States, if you when you die, there's a there's a death benefit which can go toward funeral expenses. But you don't get it if you're single. What? <laughs> it's like, what? Throw your body in a ditch. So, what do you mean? You- yeah. So if you are, you know, if your spouse dies, you can claim that couple of hundred dollars to go toward funeral expenses. And if you're single, nobody can claim that to bury me or to, you know. So, yeah. So that's the strangest. This must be a hangover from a time when women were chattel. Yeah, and it's like we haven't gotten past that. Did you know a little bit about the origin of this? And is that is that true? I don't know, but it is, it's true for men too. So if a single man dies, no one can claim the final expenses for him. So it's not just women. It's not just women, interesting. Yeah. I was wondering if the statistics on being single at heart are different for men and women. I mean, look, where do I want to go with this? There's a piece, there's a piece around what makes a person happy alone. Like I say, it takes a hell of a relationship to beat being alone. <laughs> That's great. I love it. Yeah. You know, because it. it's so much fun. Yeah. But, you know, what are the successful attributes of a person who is happily alone? Yeah. 
And then doesn't everyone have to have it just basically uh, due to the statistics of women living on average so much longer than men? Right. Uh, ever, you know, mo- many women will spend the last decade of their life alone. Yeah. Well, that is one of the superpowers of the people I call single at heart. They're the people who love their single lives, don't want to uh, ever become coupled, and who really invest in those single lives and embrace them. Well, those people all appreciate their solitude. They cherish the time they have to themselves. Now, they're also, like I said before, connected to other people, so it's not an either-or thing. But if you appreciate your solitude, that's like a superpower because you're very unlikely to be lonely. And it's the kind of thing that... um, got us through the pandemic so people who are single at heart they had some challenges often financial ones and things like that but they already had a life that was centered around being on their own and so it wasn't that big challenge of oh no I'm home alone (laughs) they like being home alone not all the time but a lot of the time and they often already had solo the kinds of interests that could be pursued on your own, like, you know, exercising or meditating or gardening or, you know, things like that. So cherishing your solitude as sort of a lead into the conversation, what kind of skills or psychological profile kind of thing would would you, is predictive of someone being successfully and happily single? Yeah, one would be uh, having confidence in yourself because, You are going against the grain by living a single life when it's coupled life that gets all the celebration and attention and rewards. So that's one thing. Another is people who are single at heart um, love their freedom. So they love the opportunity within the limits of their resources and opportunities to live a truly authentic life to pursue their passions, to uh, do what they really love. And that might mean what people think of, first of all, which is, you know, doing adventures, like traveling around the world, which one of the people I interviewed did. Um, But it could also mean caring for other people. Some of the people who are single at heart told me it was their honor to be able to be there for their parents when they were growing older and really needed their help. Um, so that's a possibility. And so that's a, that's a really important part of being single at heart is loving your freedom and also loving the opportunity to live an expansive life. I think people stereotypically think, oh, if you're single, your life is more limited. But if you are single at heart and you embrace your single life and you and you invest in it, then it becomes a more expansive life. For example, people who are single at heart realize that relationships aren't just romantic relationships. They value relationships with friends and relatives and confidants and so many other people other than just romantic partners. They realize that love is so much more than just romantic love. They realize that family could include who we usually think of as family, but it could also include the people we choose to treat like family. 
this is really vital, this idea that love is so much bigger than coupled love and can go in all of these directions. Uh, I have this, this narrative that says there are a lot of people who tell themselves a story when they're alone about their own worthiness. They start to feel sorry for themselves. Yes. Like, oh, woe is me. Nobody wants me. And that, that somehow I'm going to die alone is like a, a curse, right? And so there's some aspect of this where changing the narrative for your own self around the expansive nature of love and that you always belong and you're always worthy is a core part of shifting the whole story. Yes, and that is part of my mission, to totally rewrite the story of what it can mean to be single. Because I think that because we so value romantic partners and devalue everyone else, we're missing out on our on the, the opportunity to appreciate the people we do have in our lives. And so single people who on average maintain more ties with more different people are especially unlikely to be alone. The people who are really at risk are the ones who did what I call intensive coupling. Mm. They look to their romantic partner to be their everything, you know, their whole world. And that could be fine if it's a great relationship while it lasts. But what happens if the relationship sours or if they get divorced or if their partner dies? Now they are really and truly alone. And maybe that's why a number of studies have shown that people who have stayed single are often doing especially well in later life. And that's contrary to the stereotypes of, you know, the poor, lonely, lifelong, single old person. Well, in fact, they're very unlikely to be that. Yeah, because you didn't make the other person your whole life. Yes. Like it's, I, w I was married for a long time when I was younger. And when I was married, I used to, I was very, very focused on the marriage and raising the kids. And that was very all consuming. And after that, it shifted completely from the romantic relationship being the main course to the romantic relationship being like the spice or the sweetness or the dessert on a very rich life. And that was a, a, a recipe for happiness for me. Yeah. Well, I one of the women I interviewed who is single at heart said that um, that men were like parsley. You know, it looks nice. It's good, it's good to have it on the plate. But if they're not there, I'm not going to miss it. Okay, well, I don't feel that way yet. <laughs> that's, a little different from, that's a little different from your calling it spice. And, I did and all really, that. I do but. really like being in, uh, in limerence or in a love relationship or in a sexual relationship. So how do you distinguish between single life and single life plus a romantic interest that's not an official partner? Is there language around that? Some. Let me talk through some of the possibilities first. So some people who are single at heart, they do like dating, they do like sex, and they might uh, have relationships with people who understand because they've told them that they are interested in this as a casual thing, they like the sex, but it's not going to proceed up what's sometimes called the relationship 
elevator where you go up, 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 up from, you know, just dating to moving in to getting married and, and all that kind of thing. So that's one way. Another thing is friends with benefits. Some people do it that way. Um, and some of the people who are single at heart told me uh, they really like the freedom to experiment. So if they want to engage in sexual practices that are interesting and may not have appealed to a spouse, you know, they're free to do that. And another thing one person told me she does is compartmentalization. So she said that she likes having, in, in college, for example, she said she used to do hookups and that that was perfect for her because when she was with these men, you know, they had a good time. It was it was nice, but it was in its own box. And then she went back to her own single life, which she loved, which she pursued her classes and her interests and everything that made her a full and interesting and happy person. Mm. And some people, let me just add too, that some people really aren't interested in sex or romance. Uh, so people who have little or no uh, sexual attraction to particular people are called asexuals or aces, and people who have little or no romantic attraction to other people are called aromantic. And that's different than single. It overlaps. So of people who are single at heart, more of them are asexual or aromantic than people who are not single at heart, but the vast majority are sexual and romantic. All right. You've already opened our eyes to this inherent bias and also that there are wonderful ways to enjoy and actually choose this life as your primary, not as an alternative, but because it's how you're wired and what you love and you love freedom. So let's say I'm, I'm a normie and I don't have this, um, I haven't had this awakening yet. What, what actions can I take to uh, be a, a voice for single equity and also to treat my friends better who are single if I'm married? Yes. Well, understand that some single people, such as the single at heart, love their single lives. They don't want to be fixed up with someone as if, you know, fixing means there's something broken about them, which there's not. And ask them about their lives, ask them about their interests and the their friends and what they really like to do, as opposed to just uh, thinking, oh, she's single now, have her entertain me with stories about her dates and her sex life and all that. <laughs> Understand that people who are single at heart have full, joyful, meaningful lives and learn more about that. And also show up for them when they are having a milestone birthday or a particular achievement, be there for them. And when you do get invited by them, accept and don't back out at the last minute. So those are the things that you can do on a personal level. And of course, structurally, you could support uh, laws and policies and political candidates who are proposing policies that are more singles friendly, although good luck finding them. Yeah, good luck finding them. They have other things in their mind right now, like, I don't know, preventing fascism per se. Yeah, exactly. So if you are a person, I read your Psychology Today article, 
And it does say, if you like spending time alone, you value independence and autonomy or freedom, you like yourself, you have a lot of hobbies and interests, uh, you are content and you don't feel any sort of pressure to change it. You have, But this one got me. This one got me. You have a hard time committing to a long-term relationship or marriage. Now, that could be a sign, Bella. Oh, it could also be like an inquiry, right? It could be an inquiry. It could be like, I don't, I, I'm not committing because it's like really not authentic to me, which is great. Yes. But it could also yes. be I'm not committing out of fear. How do you distinguish between the two? Right. Yes. So that's really important. Um, and I wouldn't call that a characteristic of the single at heart. I think somebody else on site today said that. But in any case, there are some people who their relationships just don't last. And maybe they are commitment phobic in the popular way of talking about it. But people who are single at heart sometimes try one relationship after another. And the reason those relationships don't succeed is because they are not what the single at heart person really wants at heart deep down they love their single life so they are not experiencing anything that's uh, pathological they are in search of their true selves and once they realize that there is not any romantic partner who is going to make them feel like their life is better than it is as a single person. Once they realize that, then they can embrace their single lives. But that's hard to do because we are so brainwashed into thinking that the one true path to happiness is coupling. And in fact, I've done some research with my colleagues, and there's other research in other nations showing that when single people say that they're happy, other people don't believe them. You know, they say, oh, you, you're just saying that, you know. Whereas, I mean, imagine a married person saying they're happy and other people saying, oh, you, you're just fooling yourself. <laughs> they don't do that. Yeah, okay, I believe you. You have a happy and beautiful life, and let's just take that at face value. What do you want for supper? You know, what do you want to do for what? You know what I mean? Like, like, like I don't have to fix you. Interesting. Thank you. Yes, exactly. I have a friend, a male friend, who is constantly trying to find the right female relationship, and it's the exact. It's this exact issue: is people consistently fall in love with him, but his life is one of a single person who drops in for romantic connection. And actually, I find that to be quite punitive for the potential romantic partner. Like his lack of honesty about his core singleness creates a lot of suffering for others. Yes, and that's one of the reasons I want to get this idea of being single at heart out there. And I think if other people realize that some single people or some people really just love being single and that if the relationship goes wrong uh, this thing that people say it's not you it's me when it's a single at heart person saying that it it's really true it's not the partner's fault it really is that this is a person who is always going to live their best life 
by being single. I mean, one person who is single at heart said, you know, she's tried out romantic relationships and it always felt like the wrong size of shoes. It's just never really comfortable. So we may want to get honest about what we want and who we are. Yes, and it's helpful for other people to realize too that there's some people that, you know, are just not going to want to be in a committed romantic relationship. What really persuaded me of that is uh, the, are the people who told me that they found the person who would have been their one. You know, they loved that person. The person loved them back. The person was willing to accommodate their their wish for freedom. One person, for example, told the guy she was engaged with that um, she wanted to travel the world. And he said, that's okay, we can travel the world together. We can do it even if we have kids. And she said to me, but that's not what I wanted to do. You know, I wanted to be on my own traveling the world. And if we came to understand, we as a, as societies came to understand more, more accurately that some people really do want to be single and it's not uh, anything wrong with it, in fact, it can be a great strength, then that saves their partners from feeling badly about themselves as if they're unlovable. And maybe it will eventually persuade the single at heart who don't understand that they're single at heart yet, that they shouldn't feel obligated to pursue romantic relationships just because that's what they think they should do. I like that. There's also ways to create alliances for the things that do make it easier to have a partner that aren't partners. You know what I'm saying? Like people who live in co-housing or collective housing, you know, that there's a lot of ways where, where you can share all of the tasks of creating a home space or, you know, that seems interesting to me too, where I still have my freedom but and I'm free to move about the cabin at will, but that when it comes to sort of taking care of the gutters and the pantry and all that stuff, that we're not holding it alone. Yes, so that's a co-housing is a great example. So in co-housing communities, everyone has their own house or apartment or unit, and the household can be any combination that it is anywhere else. It could be someone living alone or living with a partner or family or or anything. And that community itself, the group of houses or apartments, is part of a co-housing community. And they often share meals together. They have a common house where they can go and have meetings, or sometimes there's an art room or, or a performance room or whatever it is that the people in that community want. So they do have the best of both worlds. They have... They have privacy because they have their own place, but they also have connection because there are people living in this community who want to be part of a community. They don't want to be just neighbors who never talk to each other or just nod when they walk by. That that feels so good to me. Also, that's the benefit of living in a neighborhood, in a very talkable, walkable neighborhood. Talk talk to me a little bit about single parents, like single at heart parents. How does that work? Right. Oh, wow. 
at least in the United States, and I guess other places too, single parents are still so stigmatized, and that is continuing to this day. And yet, when I talk to people who are single at heart and parents, they don't see their families as deficient. And in fact, they say that they often have a special, strong bond with their children. That, and that their children aren't ever going to be used as pawns between parents aren't, who aren't getting along or who are getting divorced. They don't have to worry about that. So it's a, a whole different way of thinking about parenting. And it doesn't have to mean that they're raising their children single-handedly. Often they have friends and relatives who are an important part of their children's lives or uh, school teachers or anyone who takes a special interest in their child. Uh, So it's a whole different way of thinking about parenting. Yes, I think we're at the cusp of a new way of living together for families. It's happening a lot in Europe. Yes. But I was looking recently at the statistics on uh, the number of women who end their childbearing capacity without ever having had a child. And throughout history, it was always one in five. You know, even back in the, you know, 1500s and, you know, when documentation started. And now in Tokyo, it's one in three. And in Western Europe, it's one in four. And so you have, I think we're, we're in the middle of an almost unobservable change in the way humans live together, that, that we're right in the middle of it. The average age now of a woman having her first child is 30. Yeah, that's a big difference. And it also means that in a way we have to reinvent the way we live because so many policies and practices and and norms of everyday living are built around the assumption that people come in families with you know mom dad and the kids but if they don't that changes everything you can't assume that the most important person in your life is going to be a spouse or children and you can't assume that they they're going to be there for you as you grow older, and that doesn't mean you don't have anyone. It could mean you have more people because you aren't so insular. You aren't so focused on just your spouse, your kids. Maybe you have, you know, friends that are important to you, relatives. And it may mean, like you said, new ways of living. There was this uh, video that was really popular about... I think it was seven women in China who had this dream of when they retired, all coming together and living together. But instead of waiting till they were retired, they just did it. (laughs) And they found this old house and they renovated it into this gorgeous, uh, almost like a palace. And we have this community of single people. It's an online Facebook community of people who who like being single. And we talk about everything except dating and trying to escape our single lives. So in this community of single people, this video about the Chinese women 
has been posted over and over and over again. It's like once it goes away for a little while, then it'll come right back. Somebody else discovers it. So I think there is something appealing about these new ways of living. Now, that's different from the co-housing example where everybody has their own place. But the way these Chinese women did it in their wonderful, beautiful home that they created is that they do have their own spaces so they have their own bedrooms but they also have a huge kitchen where they can come together and cook and chat and they have living spaces that they share and they have a tea garden outside it really is amazing mm, i'm gonna i'm gonna look that up sounds wonderful sounds wonderful and i you know we i was thinking about poetry movies books and i i'm having a hard time coming up with some archetypes that would support this new narrative. Right. And that's so sad because oh, there are all these people who love being single and they're not seeing themselves represented. They're not in movies. They're not in TV shows. They're not in novels. They're not in song lyrics. And I think that the culture is missing out on, on something that's really important. Oh, let me tell you this anecdote. So I wrote this story about myself for the Huffington Post and it was called something like I'm 70 and I've lived alone my entire life and here's what people get wrong about us and it was an essay in which I talked about what I loved about being single the freedom to and the solitude and the connection to other people and and I got about a hundred personal emails sent to me by people who had read the story and they said that they had never felt so validated that it was such a relief and a joy to hear someone talk about single life in a way that wasn't apologetic, that wasn't conceding that, well, yeah, you can be happy. It's a lesser life, but you know, you can make the best of it. So let's invent a character, huh? Yes, for sure. <laughs> you know, there are certain scenes that I've seen that I thought they should develop that and they missed the boat. So, you know, going back a ways to Sex in the City, there was a scene that was very popular where the four women are at a wedding at the bouquet toss and the flowers come at them right in front of them. And they all let them drop <laughs> instead of reaching out to try to catch them. And then they look at each other and make plans for brunch. <laughs> it was like so beautiful. Well, why don't our why doesn't our creative community get that? That 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 was popular for a reason. I think there are so many ways to go with it. I, I mean, imagine giving voice to people who are watching the displays of conventional coupledom like somebody gets engaged and they show their ring and everybody shrieks like oh oh my gosh it's so wonderful we'll, we'll show the actual thoughts of the people who are single at heart and think that's ridiculous i mean you could you could do something really funny yeah i'd like to challenge our listeners to uh, come up with some heroines or some narratives uh, where the woman is not sort of languishing in her spinsterhood or she's not like giving up on love because she had a broken heart or yeah. she's not some sort of like transformed 
witch or or heroine <laughs> from another dimension. Yeah. You know. No sci-fi. You're getting, you're getting, we want reality no here. <laughs> we need some models, men or women, of people who've chosen the single at heart life and can represent the happiness and joy that's available there. Yes, go at it, listeners. Do it. Yeah, particularly, I know a lot of you are artists, and I've got a few uh, really frequent listeners who are sending me notes all the time who are involved in film and television. Let's do it. Oh, they're the ones. Do it. That's right. Well, is there anything else you'd like us to know, Bella, before we close up? I think when you hear what I call deficit narratives of single life, where single life is being presented as lesser than, be skeptical, especially when it's presented as science. You know, you'll see these headlines declaring, you know, that, oh, single people aren't as happy or they're not as healthy or something. But the studies don't really show that. And you can read my single and flourishing article to to read more about that. Okay, actually, the research that I've seen says that women are happier without children or a spouse. That's the most recent research. Yeah, well, what I I like to see is the studies that follow people over the course of their lives. Mm -hmm. And what happens to them when they go from being single to being coupled or or especially married. There's lots of studies of being married. And it's not what you hear that, oh, you know, you get married and you become blissful. (laughs) Sometimes people get happy at the very beginning. You know, it's like all exciting. They had this big party and it's all new and fun and they got lots of gifts. But then they go back to being as happy or as unhappy as they were when they were single. And that brief honeymoon effect, you know, where you, you just got married and it's all very exciting, only the people who got married and stay married experience that. The people who are headed to divorce are actually becoming less happy as the day of their wedding approaches. And that's true of men and women. But you're right that generally women do better at being single because they're better at tending to friends and you know they know how to do the chores <laughs> they've been doing them their whole life but men are as likely or even more likely to be single at heart than women it's a very being single at heart is a very mature and psychologically rich way to live and it's a nice counterpoint to all the stigmatizing of single men as incels and all the rest of it. Yeah, some of them are, which is not a good thing. But to characterize all of them that way is missing what many single at heart men are really doing well. Well, I mean, that's the, the difference there is the incel thing is involuntarily celibate, right? It's the involuntary part that makes it miserable. Yes, that's true. So why don't you, you know, if I have to tell you, I don't understand that at all. Because as a, a you know, no, knowing that my friends who are dating, like it takes such, the bar is so low <laughs> to be a dateable, to be a dateable man. The bar is like, pay attention, be kind. <laughs> do small acts of service, plan some fun stuff, like care about the person and love your own self, you know? And like, that's all it takes. You don't, they have all these myths, like you have to be rich or you have to be handsome. Or you're da, 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 da. And I'm like, that's not true. <laughs> really, it's, it's like, the, so, so, so if you're in that, let me just say, if you're an incel, 
It's very easy. Just go take a few online courses on how to be a nice person and the world will open up for you. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. I have never <laughs> been on a dating site and I never will be. I've never, I, I think I did one time 20 years ago, but I really despised it and I'm done. I, you know, whatever. I'm, we're not talking about me. All right. But I think that, that the reason that bothers me in particular, the sort of incel movement is because of the violence and genders against, against women. And I'm, and I, you know, if you're happily choosing to be celibate, God bless you. If you're happily single, amazing, but if you're involuntarily anything, Mm -hmm. that's on you, man, woman, that's on you. You don't use violence to deal with it. Yeah. But it's, it's generally um, more often than not within our control. And I think the bigger message from that is not to assume that all single people are involuntarily single because many of them are choosing it and loving it. Thank you. Well, thank you for inviting me. This, it was great to talk to you. There are so many ways to live in a human body on this earth. There are so many ways to choose your thread of joy and not the thread of obligation. And for some of us, that is completely in love and in relationships where one plus one is not just two, but it's three, it's four, it's five, it's exponential. Like you really uplift each other and you create something magnificent. Uh, Maybe you create family or community or a business or art, or you just sort of give each other the baseline off of which you can grow. Or, Or maybe you're a person like Dr. DiPaolo, who is glorious in your exploration of life as a solo being where you wake up in the morning and the day is laid out before you and you're the one in charge of your time and you find ways to navigate the society in between among others without the structured contract of the state without the dyad so whichever way you do it all i'm saying is whichever way you do it blessings upon blessings to be alive May you receive utter support and nourishment for finding the exact way you're meant to live at this time in your life. It could change later one way or the other. But let us take everyone in their core essence with utter and unconditional love. You can find me on Instagram at the.rose.woman and you can find Rosebud Woman, the company that I started that makes beautiful and amazing intimate care products at rosewoman.com. Until next time, all love and all blessings.